What if, huh? What if you got to go to Puerto Rico this week? Awesome. I had the opportunity this week to go do that and was able to spend some time with uh, one of my friends that I was able to serve in ministry for about 15 years. And he was a missions pastor at one of the churches I served at. And one of those days he went and um, had a vacation. And in his vacation he went down to Puerto Rico and they happened to go to church one Sunday and they showed up at this little church on an island. And as they're talking with the pastor afterwards, they said, how many teams have come down here to help do missions and to serve you guys and to work with you? And the pastor said, no one. I've been here over 35 years and no one's ever come down. People have talked about it. People have said they're going to come down. I'll go to the airport and nobody ever shows up. And so my friend Howard and Connie, they said, hey, we're, we'll bring a team. I said, we'll bring a team about this time. And so a few months later, here they come. The pastor shows up at the airport expecting no one to show up. And there's Howard and 18 other people and be able to serve in that community in Vieques and Puerto Rico and around. And so now that Howard and Connie have recently retired, they now uh, live six months of the year down in Puerto Rico and actually started a new ministry called Vision Puerto Rico. And they're serving people in Vieques and San Juan and around the area. So I was able to, to go down this week and to meet with several different pastors and, and to begin to develop relationships with them and just ask them the question, how can we serve you? And so hopefully over the next few months and few weeks, you'll see some of those ways as we talk about as a leadership team. And maybe next year you'll get to go see some of those beaches. And uh, some of you got to see Pablo who is 105 years old, has 19 kids, 12 of them are still alive, and Pablo, they believe, is actually probably 109 or 110 because he tells stories that they say there's no way that he could be um, telling those stories if he wasn't even a little bit older than that. So you can imagine Pablo was a hysterical guy. He was telling stories and all kinds of different stuff. And the way that he reads, he can still read. He doesn't need glasses. He doesn't take any medication. He's never taken any medication his entire life. And the way that he reads... This is the funniest thing. Don't laugh too loud, okay? Is they actually, they take duct tape and packing tape and they open up his eyelids and, and tape those things up so he can read, so his eyes can be fully open. It's the funniest thing to see. And, um, but he's a, he's a great guy. He really does. Every day he reads his Bible and he prays for you and prays for us. It's a great witness. What if, even at 105, you're falling in love with Jesus? What a prayer request. How many of you have seen this as your kids, maybe? Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open it up, and here are the... And here's our two bodyguards. I think that's Kenny Baker and Roy back there in the back. What do you think? Back there keeping the, keeping the whatnots out, right? What if? Church has become kind of relegated and designated as this building. When you say, hey, I'm going to go to church, you think of this building. And somewhere along the way in the 300s, that's where this idea came in because the government decided that the church should be controlled. And so they created buildings and they said, hey, you guys start going to church. And the government entered into the church business so they could control Scripture, they could control the preachers, and they could control the money. And so the theology began to change and theology was, was adapted and, and created in such a way that the government could control church. And so we've gotten this idea over thousands of years now that church is this and if we just build bigger churches that that's what Jesus is satisfied with but let me tell you this as I read scripture when Jesus was on the cross and his arms were open wide and he said I'm dying for the church he was not thinking about this building he was thinking about you that the church of Jesus Christ is not about this and this is a beautiful building but it's not about this he's died on the cross for us that's even what the Reformation was about. That's why Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and the Anabaptists 
literally gave their life to reform, to say, listen, enough of the government and enough of other people trying to control Scripture, to control the money, to control the mission of Jesus Christ. Let's reform this and get back to Scripture and Scripture alone. The Anabaptists said, listen, we want to even remove the government even further and say we want to be truly about Scripture. We don't want our pastors to be paid by the government. We want them to be confined totally to Scripture and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so even the Anabaptists, that's part of our heritage if you didn't guess, the Anabaptists went so far that they actually were rebaptized by Calvin and Zwingli and Luther. That's a part of the church history that most of us don't know is that Calvin and Luther and Zwingli's they were tied still to the government. And Anabaptists, a part of our heritage, we said, listen, we don't want to get paid by the government. We want to be tied to Jesus alone. And so they would literally put bars behind them and row them out into boats and they would throw them out into the lake and say, be rebaptized then. And so some of our heritage said, listen, we totally believe in the power of God's word. We're willing to give our life for that. Listen, I don't know about you, but I would give my life for Jesus, but not for this, not for this building. So much more the church is about. In the New Testament, this word ecclesia that Jesus uses for a church whenever he was on the cross, and he said, listen, I give my life for this church. He was talking about a people movement, a people movement that are moved and, and desire to see their lives transformed by a living God. That it's not about a building or a place, but it's about a, a movement of God that literally transforms a community. That where we go, what we do, and what we say is so radically different that people want that Jesus. Even when you look in Acts chapter 2, that is the early church began to grow, one of the things that it talks about in Acts chapter 2 is that people began to look at these new Christians and saying, hey, what's, what's different about these new people? I see something radically different about them. And the church numbers were added to daily. Not the church here, but that people would join that crew and say, listen, I want to be a part of that small group. I want to be a part of that group of people that they're gathering together and every day they're opening up the Word and they're sharing a meal together and, and lives are being transformed as people go to work. They're saying, hey, listen, I know that that guy works down at the Ford place. I know that guy works, lady works down at Weichel's, but there's something different about them when they come to work and I want to know what that is. And it's not because they come, they come to a building like this. It's because their lives and their hearts and their minds and their souls and the way that they see people is radically different. They see people as not an opportunity to use them and to get to a better place, but they see people as an opportunity to say, listen, my heart, my mind, and my soul have been transformed by this Jesus. And I've tasted and I've seen that it's good, and I cannot imagine doing life without him. And I want you to take a little taste. Try it and see. This morning we're continuing this little series called You Are Here and this idea of being the church. Toby talked about what worship is and Last week we talked about being a part of a group, and this morning I want us to just kind of think through this idea of what it means for us to be a church on mission and a church with having a purpose. Do you realize that 90% of the churches in LaGrange and Fayette and Texas and the U.S. and even in, in Europe, 90% of the churches are dying or declining? There's going to be hundreds of churches this week that this is their last service, that they're saying, hey... It's been great knowing you. We're closing the doors. As a group of Christians, we are losing ground. Even if we look in this room, this building that we call church, there's an empty seat next to you, which means there's a neighbor that lives next to you that has an opportunity to be here that we haven't invited this week. 90% of our neighbors 
are not involved in a church and do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're in the Bible Belt. The North American Mission Board, the most recent statistics from them say that even in the Bible Belt, in Dallas, in Houston, in Austin, in San Antonio, that it used to be that, hey, 50% are active in a church. Now it's the same as if you go to Seattle or if you go to Washington, D.C., that over 90% of those that live in those cities and in towns like this 90% have no relationship with the church and no relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what I believe why. It's because we're not living as a people that are transformed by Jesus. That it's not radically making a difference in every single area of our lives. Because it's inconvenient. We might wonder, and and we have an image that we have to uphold. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, he wasn't concerned about these buildings. He was concerned about our hearts, and he was concerned about the hearts of our neighbors. The church, the New Testament church, is about a movement of the people of God that have a purpose and a mission, and that is to see our neighbors come to know him. We can build a $5 million building here, And we can applaud ourselves for doing that and being generous to do that. But listen, that in itself doesn't move the heart of God if we're not reaching our neighbors for Jesus Christ. We need a reformation in the church. And that reformation starts here and out here. The church is to be founded upon the confession of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that I want you to see. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew Chapter 16, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but the first thing I want you to see is the church, us, is built upon a confession of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, now remember these are guys that have been hanging around with them for a little bit, they've been together for about two years about this time, and so two and a half years, and so he's asking these people that have been living life with them. They've been camping out, all right? And so they, if anyone should know who Jesus is, these guys do. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, that's a good Sunday school answer. Have you ever been a Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher or the life group teacher asks you a question and you're not really sure, so you kind of hem-haw around? Yeah? The good answer in Sunday school is what? Jesus. All right, that's what I ask my kids. What did you learn about today? And they're like, Jesus. Okay, that's kind of what they're saying. Then he asked them, who do you, who spent time with me and know me, who do you say I am? Simon Peter, being the bold, outspoken, extroverted person that he was, said, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, just Petra, which means rock. And upon this rock, this faith, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will, not, will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In this moment, the beginnings of the church, the New Testament church were there. Peter was saying, listen, 
upon this profession that you are the Christ, that you are the Messiah, the Anointed One, the church is going to be built. That as we gather together, the thing that brings us together as a team, the thing that brings us together as Second Baptist or any of the other churches around here that proclaim Jesus is that very thing, is that they say, I'd live life. The reason that I give up my Sunday mornings, the reason that I go to small groups, the reason I do this is because of my profession of Jesus Christ. That He lived, that He died, and He gave His life, and on the third day He resurrected and He had victory over death. And I don't have to worry about death anymore. That whenever I die, I die and I'm going to be with Him for eternity. And this is just a, a plan. I'm just getting in motion. So this is practice for heaven. We need a church. We need a reformation within the church. And the first thing is that we need to be teaching people about who Jesus is. That He's the Messiah, the Anointed One. You know, after He was dead and buried and He rose again after 30 days, after three days, not 30 days, three days, he kind of walked around for a little bit, and he hung out. And one of the things that he was doing was he was having dinners with them. Why would Jesus have dinners and hang out with the other disciples and other people? One, because he knew that there was going to be a teaching that saying he was just a ghost, that he was just a mere apparition, that he wasn't truly resurrected. And so there was a teaching in the early church. And listen, that was one of the things that the disciples and others would go back to. is like, listen, if he was a ghost, then how would this Jesus eat the fish that we made for him? Thomas has said, listen, I touched the very scars of his hands. I know that he's a physical being. So Jesus, for 40 days, walked around and spent time showing up in different places. Now, there was some, some paranormal, there's some unnatural things that happened that Jesus, after his resurrection, when he showed up. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, this is the last time that Jesus is with the disciples and they're having dinner. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, he says this, to his disciples say hey hey listen there's the holy spirit's going to be coming and you guys need to wait around and anticipate what's going to be happening starting in verse six on your own time read verses one through five but in verse six he says this so when the apostles were with jesus they've been having dinner and he told them to wait around they kept asking him lord has the time come for you to free israel and restore our kingdom now again see they've been with them He's been resurrected and they still are asking the question of when are you going to restore? When are you going to place yourself as the king on the, on the throne? And they still don't fully get it. And he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power. This is literally this idea of power. We get our, our word dynamite. And dynamite is explosive, Right? So, I mean, when you throw dynamite, you just don't expect a pow. What do you expect? You throw dynamite, it explodes, what's going to happen? Boom. People are going to notice, right? When the fireworks happen, you notice. You pay attention. But you will receive dynamite, explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In other words, those moments that Christ, whenever the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you in this way, that's taking dynamite, and He's saying, listen, I am moving you in this direction to do something that I've called you to do. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even maybe to Puerto Rico. The hardest place to be a missionary is to the person right next door. The hardest place to be a missionary is in your own home, isn't it? Because who knows you the best? Your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sisters. The church is to be about the witness 
of who Jesus is. And you've been given dynamite power through the Holy Spirit. And as He transforms your heart, as He transforms every area of your life, people are going to take notice and they're going to say, listen, I want to know what's going on in the heart of Chris. I want to know what's going on in the heart of John and of Susie because I see something radically different. So as a church, Jesus gets lifted up, as you see in verse 9 and 10, that he's lifted up, which would have been a pretty cool thing to be there. And Jesus kind of gives his final words and gives them saying, listen, you're going to go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. And a lot of them did. They went to places they never thought they would be. So they're hanging out and they're praying like Jesus had told them to do. They were actually, they were gathered in a room during Pentecost. There's 50 days after Passover and they're, they're gathered together there. And Jesus and his, Jesus' mother and family were there. And all this big crowd were eating together and fellowshipping together. And they were waiting and listening for the Spirit of God. And then all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit drops. And he manifested himself. And there was this big crowd of people. And so Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And here's what he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Now remember, there's thousands upon thousands of people that are together together for the Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit has moved over Peter and the disciples. And Peter, again, the extrovert kind of leader, stands up and begins to preach. And here's what he says. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. All these Jews had come in and they were celebrating. He says, listen, you crucified this Jesus. He's made him to be both Lord and Messiah. And the words of Peter pierced their hearts, right? Because of this dynamite Holy Spirit power. Peter's words pierced their heart. And they said to him and the other brother, other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And here's what Peter said. He said, go down the street and get a committee together and let's build a church. And let's have a lot of committees and a lot. No. No. Wait a second, what? Peter replied, each of you must repent. In other words, you're walking this way, doing life in your own power with your own vision and your own purpose, and you're walking this way, and you realize you come face to face with who Jesus is, and you stop going this way, and you immediately turn around, and you begin walking this way. And that's the struggle for us as followers of Christ, is that we've walked this way for so long that all of a sudden we're walking here and we know, what we, we, know, we know this direction so well. We've worn the path so well. It's easy for us to go, ah, but this, I'm not really sure about this path. And so we're, we're kind of drawn back and there's those things that still entice us and catch our eye, right? And so you're, you're trying to follow Jesus. You're seeing the cross, but something catches here and it glimmers and it glistens. And you're like, okay, and all of a sudden you're back. That's the beauty of repentance is that we can, there's those moments where we're walking in the wrong direction and Jesus says, repent. The power of the Holy Spirit just kind of explodes there in front of us and we're like, wrong way, and we begin walking this way again. Repent and be baptized. The first act of obedience and saying yes to Jesus. It's just a physical act of being cleansed. And as we talked about, one of the beauties of that day is whenever someone was baptized, they were baptized in a river. And for them, that was living water. And so someone was put underneath the water saying, listen, your sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. The only way that you can grab onto those sins is if you can catch up to them. And so it's, it's impossible. As you're being baptized and you're put underneath there and they hold you underneath there until you say tithe until we can build a big church and all that stuff is going down and they're holding you there long enough, the sins are going and there's no way, there's an impossibility for you to catch up to that stuff. And that's the beauty is that we've been cleaned 
have been transformed. Our hearts have been exploded and we're kind of walking in this new direction and it's, it's uneasy and it's, we don't fully understand it. We fully don't know it. Repent and be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. Listen, that's also one of the beauties of the Gospel is that when someone comes to know Christ, it doesn't transform them. It has this overwhelming power to transform families. Now, see, that's, for me, that's one of the beauties of Howard um, did prison ministry, still continues to do prison ministry and works with kids. And he's, whenever he's working with these kids and these men, one of the things that he's, the stories that he tells of these young men that have gone into prison and they meet Christ in there, that even in that place it begins to radically transform their family because they see someone who was the muck of the muck. Okay? The muck of the muck, and they go into the prison and they meet Jesus, and even in that place, their family comes in and they say, wow, you are different, and they say, I've tasted and seen Jesus. So even those that we would say sometimes are reprehensible, Jesus can transform them. And it transforms generations after generations. That we stand here on the shoulders of our fathers and our mothers and our grandmothers and our grandfathers that said yes to Jesus and how it changed our lives. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. He probably didn't finish at 1130. Strongly urging the listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Message still stands, doesn't it? We're in the middle of the most crooked presidential election we've ever been in. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. The power of God to change lives. The church was not meant to be a building, but meant to be a dynamic, powerful movement of God. And my heart prayer for us is that we begin to move beyond just this building, but to realize that when we leave here in just a few minutes that the church isn't leaving, the church is already here, we're going to be going out and you are the church. So when you go to work this week, wherever it's at, it's LRCA or Wycles or Ford or whatever, the school teachers, you are taking the church to that place. And that there is dynamite Holy Spirit power in you. That literally says the resurrection power, the same power that resurrected Jesus is in us. And so this week when you're tempted with that stuff that you're still pursuing that maybe glistens for whatever reason, you just say, listen, no. Satan, stand behind me. The power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that resurrected Jesus is here in me and I do not have to bow down to that stuff anymore. Because I want to pursue this Jesus. I'm tired of just going to church on Sunday. I want to make a difference in someone's life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Have we closed our ideas to church to just this? I pray that we capture and recapture that what Jesus was on the cross for when he was there, that he envisioned a movement, a powerful Holy Spirit, dynamite-driven, 
group of people that wherever they were going, they were transforming the lives of others because they had tasted and seen. And they said, listen, you cannot go another day without this. And that people are begging you to say, I want what you've got. The aroma that you're putting on is awesome. Have you ever been to that place? Listen. You ever been to like Dillard's or Macy's or something and you're walking through and that, that place in front, there's those ladies and they're squirting that stinky stuff, right? And we kind of try to go around the back end because we're like, I don't want to be a part of that. But every once in a while you go through it and it's happened to me is that something stinks. But my wife said it smells good. <laughs> I'm going to buy that. I want my wife to go, mmm, that smells good. Listen, sometimes the aroma we put off stinks because we're carrying around some rotten stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. I pray that you would begin to just say, God, that there's stuff in my life, there's stuff in my heart, there's things that I've been doing, things I've been saying, things I've been believing that have nothing to do with Jesus. Father, I pray that you would just bathe me in the aroma of Jesus Christ. So that when I'm squeezed, that the aroma of Jesus comes out. Let's pray together. Father Jesus, move in us. Let us not be okay with doing church as usual. Father, I pray that this place here that we call Second Baptist is known throughout the world because it is a place where you have centrifuged men and women and teenagers and young people out throughout the world for you. And that we just come together here to celebrate what you're doing in us and through us because of the power of the Holy Spirit and transform lives. Not perfect lives, but transform lives. And Father, we know that before we can go anywhere in the world, we've got to start right here. So Father, I pray that those that we've been thinking about, that you've been nudging us toward, that you would just, that we would just depend on and lean on the resurrection power of Jesus and invite them to church, invite them to our life group, invite them to our, our class on Sunday mornings. Whatever it is you've been convicting us to share our story, Father, so that lives can be transformed even in LaGrange, Texas with people that we've lived back next to for 10, 15, 20 years. May that happen this week. May that be our story. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.